I'm going to now invite Meg, a good friend of ours, to come and speak God's word to us. So this is a continuation. She's going to speak God's truth to us that we can stand on. Why don't we welcome her with a little applause? Give us some encouragement. Meg, be free to just share openly with us. We are, we're ready to listen and learn and uh, respond to God's word through Meg, aren't we, today? <laughs> Great. How's that? Yeah? Thank you. Thank you. Oh, crumbs. Right. Here we go. Anyone else feeling nervous? Because <laughs> you're in good company. Um, yeah, so I'm excited to share um, with you something that God's been teaching me about one of our beloved uh, Old Testament prophets. We love his work. We love um, quoting his verses quite often. And it is the prophet Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah has a nickname, often. Uh, does anyone know what he's often referred to as? And then just as a hint, it's not Jerry. It's just, <laughs> just clarifying. Jez? <laughs> anyone? Yes, absolutely. He is often known as the weeping prophet. But I feel like in many ways that's a really unfair um, summation of his beautiful work. So I'm really excited to share a little bit about him with you. And just to set a little bit of context... Um, Jeremiah was a prophet to the kingdom of Judah. So at this time, the people of God had, to, had split into two kingdoms, Israel and Judah. And, and Jeremiah was Judah's prophet for 40 years. So he's been a long time ministering. But during this time, the people of God had fallen away. They had been tempted to worship false idols and were even um, involved in human sacrifice at this point. So it was a desperate situation. And God commissioned Jeremiah to call the people back to him, to, to declare that God wants them restored to him. And if they refused to do that the Babylonian kingdom would come and overtake them. So not a popular message <laughs> for Jeremiah uh, to declare. And he did this before uh, the Babylonian did overtake um, Judah and afterwards. And it led to him being rejected. It led to him um, being rejected by his friends, by family. Kings did not want to listen to him. No one wanted to hear what Jeremiah had to say. And indeed, he was thrown into prison. He was forcibly taken to Egypt against his will. And he was even chucked into a well. Uh, so I, we can understand why he might be given that label. But there is so, so much more to Jeremiah's ministry than sorrow and weeping. And I'm excited to explore that uh, this morning. Um, so I'm going to go to the start of, of Jeremiah. Uh, it might appear behind me. Uh, but if not, um, I'm going to Jeremiah 1, uh, 
chapter 1, verse 4, where it says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. How beautiful is that, that God knew Jeremiah before he was even born? That there were no preconditions for Jeremiah's ministry. Uh, there was no, I don't know if you've been to interviews and there are some tasks that you have to do to show that you, you've got an aptitude for the job. Jeremiah didn't have to do any of that because God knew him before he was born. And we are known by God as well. It's reaffirmed to us, if I, if I can find it here, in um, Ephesians chapter 1, again verse 4, it says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. So long before any of us were born, we were called to be holy and blameless in his sight. So again, set apart, made holy. In love, he predestines us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So you are intimately known by God before you were even a twinkle in either parent's eye. You were known and you were loved. To this, this is what um, Jeremiah responds with. He says, Ah, sovereign Lord, I do not know how to speak. I am only a child. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. How often is it in the Old Testament that so many people, when God calls them, they just go, no. You know, we think of Moses, who, who kind of is like, I don't know how to speak, God. <laughs> and, and yet, God used him mightily. Jeremiah is the same. And to that, God says, no, don't say that. I know you better than you know yourself. And I've called you to do this. And I'm going to be with you. And I am mighty to save you. If it all goes to pot, it's okay, I'm with you. And I wonder, what do we say when God calls us? Do we say, I'm too young, or I'm too old, I'm too busy, I'm too much, I'm too awkward, I'm not enough? What is it when God calls you to what he would have for you? Do you say, no, I'm too much, X? What is it? Because to that, God would say, no, I know you. And I've appointed you to this before you would even step foot on this earth. You do not take God by surprise. He's not kind of looking at you and thinking, how on earth did she get there? Which I thank you for. (laughs) You know, you're not an inconvenience. You haven't messed up his plan. He is with you and he is mighty to save you. But what did God call Jeremiah to? As we've already Uh, discussed, he declared a message, a really bold message. But I would say that what God called Jeremiah to was radical obedience. And we've even thought about that already this morning with what Joshua had to do to bring down the walls of Jericho. It did not make sense, but he was obedient to what God asked him. But what kinds of things did um, God ask Jeremiah to do? Some of them are pretty bizarre, I'm not going to (laughs) lie. He um, told Jeremiah to buy a field right before the Babylonian Empire was coming. He told God, he told Jeremiah to buy a flask and break it. He even told Jeremiah to buy a loincloth and bury it, let it go moldy, and then dig it up again. It does not make sense. 
and I don't and I don't think any of us are going to be yet called to bury some underpants and leave it there for a while you know before you start thinking any of that but Jeremiah's life was to be an illustration to the people of Judah to show that their hearts have grown rotten because they have broken their relationship with God Jeremiah in his life and in his actions was showing that to them but there's something else Now, I will admit, it's this element that drew me to Jeremiah in the first place that God called him to. In Jeremiah 16, he tells Jeremiah, do not take a wife and you will not have children. He's called to singleness and now's the awkward silence. (laughs) Because yes, you have stumbled into a talk on singleness. I apologize right now. Um, And this is one of the most explicit calls to singleness there is in the Bible. There are other people who we think may or may not have been single, but Jeremiah, very clearly, God tells him, you are not to take a wife and you are not to have children. Now, for Jeremiah, this would have been shocking to the people around him. This would have not made sense because children were so, so important um, in, in the community, in the culture. If you did not have children, you were seen as cursed. If we think of baby Samuel, we know the story of Samuel, hey? Before Hannah had given birth to him, she was distraught. Her husband was worried about her because she was so depressed. She goes to the temple and just wails and prays to God. And the priest thought she was drunk in her grief. She was absolutely heartbroken. And in this context, people would have been so afraid because they would not have a family to pass on their lineage to. It was seen as a curse. And we can understand that in part why that is. If we go back to all the way to the beginning, to Genesis, uh, we probably know when, when God creates Adam, he looks at him and says, it's not right for the man to be alone. And he beautifully presents Eve, um, and, and Adam and Eve get married. And he also um, gives them a commission, which Nathan reminds us that any baby dedication to go forth and multiply and be fruitful. So clearly there is such a strong endorsement to ma- for marriage and children. And rightly so, it's a beautiful, wonderful gift. Indeed, if we go a bit further in Genesis, with God's promise to Abraham, the blessing is going to come through the generations. And for there to be generations, there's got to be kids. (laughs) So very understandably, it is strange for Jeremiah to hear this. And I would say, even in today's culture, it is strange for someone often to be single and to not have children sometimes. We are told through media or or film and stories that our lives are not the best if we are not romantically or sexually fulfilled. I don't wish to be crass, but a lot of us might have heard of the film The 40-Year-Old Virgin, yeah? The whole premise of it is that it is strange that this man has not had relationships or sexual encounters by this age. It is generally given it is odd. (laughs) And this is what Jeremiah is called to. And this is what some uh, people in today's culture, in your church, experience. Now, clearly, there are a lot of benefits to singleness. Uh, As a single person, I am free. (laughs) So I I don't want to make you jealous, but I can get up when I want to. (laughs) 
I can eat what I want to. I can spend my time and my money as I want to. If I want to buy another expensive pair of shoes, I do not have to apologize to a husband for using the money. I don't have to justify how I use my time at all. And for those of you who know my heart to go to Japan, it is made so much easier that I don't have to consider what impact that has on a husband who might have an, you know, a desire for something else or career prospects. I don't have to worry of what that might mean for my children, of how are they going to fit in to a foreign culture that they might not have decided to go to. I don't have to worry about that. But at the same time, it is lonely. A part of me longs as I explore different things. I want to share that with someone. So, so I will admit, I often share it with you guys. <laughs> I'm texting people like, hey, this has happened. And I will also admit that often I f- see my singleness strongest in Christian contexts because I am surrounded in a beautiful way, let me be clear, by pairs, by married people, by families, you start to feel like you stick out. You feel a bit awkward. You feel like a jagged tooth in a smile of pearly white pears. It, you don't feel like you belong. You can't fully understand all of the sermon illustrations because they're often drawn on family life. And you feel on the outside a lot of the time. And this is not to say um, that we are... <laughs> you know, doing, doing church wrong. Please, please don't hear that. I am not saying that marriage is not a beautiful and good thing. It really, really is. It really is. And we also have to be conscious, and I'm very aware of this right now, that singleness is not a monolithic experience. We are, people are single for different reasons. So I fall in the category of someone who would love to be married, but I'm not. Or there might be people who don't want to be married, There might be people who are experiencing a season of singleness after their marriage has ended, whether that's divorce or their spouse has passed away. The the experience of singleness is different for everyone, and we shouldn't treat it as the same. We shouldn't pretend that we understand it, because often I don't even understand how I feel about it myself, to be honest with you. (laughs) And it changes on different days. Sometimes... I can just get in my car and go somewhere, and that's great. I don't have to ask. I don't have to think and check with someone. But other days, it's hard. I see... It's hard today, clearly. (laughs) I see the kids, and it hurts. Or family holidays. Where you panic and think, what, what am I going to be doing? Where am I going to be? Where is it okay for me to be? And often you hear the strangest things if you ever <laughs> express that. You hear, oh, wait, God's preparing a man for you. Or the strangest one I've heard is, God doesn't like sharing. And I'm like, well, he doesn't like sharing you either. So I don't get the, I don't get it. But I think what we often confuse the solution to singleness is, is marriage. And it's not. If we do that, we're making an idol of marriage. Because I'm sure as any married person here can testify, their problems did not go away (laughs) when they got married. Yes, 
Any one spouse cannot meet the needs that you have because they can only be founded in God. In God, <laughs> in God, you are complete. That film, I've never seen it, but I hear Jerry Maguire, you complete me. No, he does not. <laughs> Let me be clear. But how do we come alongside single people in the different spheres it is? Because it is different. I would say that the solution to the problems of singleness isn't, isn't marriage. It's a community where no person would ever feel lonely, regardless of marital status. Because as a single person, what I long for is to be loved as I am by any of you. Not a specific man, by any of you. I long to be listened to. I longed, just as I love to celebrate with my friends when there are joyful things, I, I long for you to celebrate with me when there are joyful things. I long for someone to listen when it's hard and to mourn with me when, it, when I mourn. Sometimes those platitudes are beautiful and well-intentioned, but my hope cannot be in becoming a married person. It has to be grounded in knowing who I am in Christ. It cannot be anything else, and it is the same for each of you. I think we also have to change the narrative. We have to show that marriage and singleness are equal gifts. The Bible is so, so clear about this. I've got maybe some verses might, might pop up um, in Colossians. Yeah, in Colossians, it says we are made whole and complete in Christ. We don't need anything extra, not marriage, not children, to complete that. In fact, Paul advocates that, you know, with singleness, you are able to, to, to serve and be single-minded in how you can minister to people. But let me also be clear. I've got time, but not lots of time. <laughs> and I re would really love for people to know that their worth isn't in their service. When I asked OMF, what, are often, you know, what, what advice would you give me as a single missionary? They said, guard your time because people will want to use it. Not in a horrible way, but you're flexible. You've got time. I want to minister with you, not always for you. And I would admit occasionally when I'm here, stood by myself sometimes on a Sunday morning, if someone comes to me, I'm semi-expecting a request. But that's me. You know, that's, that's my issue. I've got to be less suspicious. <laughs> um, or indeed in Mark, um, oh, this is, this is the uncomfortable one. He, Jesus himself declares that marriage is temporary. In heaven, there won't be that. And we do live as if marriage here now is everything. And it is beautiful. Please, please do not come away with me uh, thinking that I'm saying marriage is not a good thing. It is. But so is singleness. It is good. And can you imagine what our ministry would be like if we truly understood that the eternal relationships are going to be with the people that we disciple? 
Jesus changed how the kingdom would grow. It was no longer going to be through lineage and blood. It was going to be by adoption. No one is, is exempt from it. So I can serve children, and I delight in doing that. And I can consider them as my little brothers and sisters, and that is going to be the eternal relationship that I have with them. I often you know, just pray over parents because how different would it be if they see their children as their little brothers and sisters that they are, are discipling in life? Do we, and, and that leads me to think, like, does, do, do, you know, do we pray over our children for the gift of singleness as much as we do for the gift of marriage? Do we prepare our young people to be steadfast single people as well as a good and faithful spouse. Is that what we preach as, as a church? Do we listen to single people? Because we do have a voice. <laughs> I might not always understand um, the throes of family, but I want to be with you in it. I want to be included. I do remember the first time I went to Catalyst, which was so fun. <laughs> Um, I was on the kids' team, and I was lining up to get um, some food with everybody that I think probably Stefan Ard had joyfully prepared for us. And I remember overhearing, and I won't embarrass who it was by saying who it was, but I overheard them say, oh, I would never have come to something like this as a single person. And I'll admit, at that time, I was feeling very conscious that... I was the only person on our kind of little pitch in a one-woman tent. Everyone else was with their families in tents, and I could hear everything. <laughs> um, but I kind of, I was, I was too new at the church to kind of really be like, hey, hold on. Um, but I, what I wanted to say to him was, well, what choice have I got other than you? Unless I want to be a hermit, and I don't. <laughs> We're called to be a body together as brothers and sisters. And I'm so often aware I probably need you a bit more than you need me. But we are made for intimacy. Is it, you know, the, what God said is right of us. We are not made to be alone, but that does not always equate to marriage. It doesn't. And I rejoice that I have a church family uh, to journey with. Because the road of singleness can be a lonely one. And it's not right for us to be alone. And it can be a temptation sometimes for us as single people. It can feel too hard to be amongst families. It can, it, there are days where it feels really difficult but please, please keep inviting us, keep including us, because it is a joy to, to journey with you. And linking back to our, our Jeremiah, he did mourn, he did struggle, he even says to God, are you a deceitful brook? Have you led me astray? He struggled and it hurt to journey that journey alone. And it was not you know, just that he was single, but because he was rejected by everyone in his community. But the beautiful thing of Jeremiah is he knew what he had was greater than what he did not. 
He had a true relationship with the living God. And that was worth anything to him. So he would go and bury those underpants. <laughs> he would go and buy that field. He would go and declare what the words that God gave him because his perspective was eternal, not present. He was looking out for the eternal uh, life of of his people he desperately wanted them to turn and he would keep and keep on declaring that and I think Jeremiah shows us that fruitfulness and success is not necessarily marriage and children if we go to let me see if I can find it there we go Uh, Jeremiah 17 starting verse 7 it says but blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit because fruitfulness, friends, is trust. Whatever season you are in, fruitfulness is trusting that God knows you, that he knows what you need, even if it's not what we want. He knows. And this is how Jeremiah withstood rejection and loneliness. He had a love that was far greater than anything earthly could offer him. Know that you are intimately known and seen and loved, just as Jeremiah was. The calling that he had is on you. It's on you as well. Let me uh, kind of finish at the end, if I may. Because I I do have a save the date. I do. I'm I'm not sure when it is. But it's in eternity. And I am going to be the most beautiful bride I ever could be. Because my Savior is making me new. He is making me perfect. He is making me a bride he is proud to present. And it's the same for you. Because what it brings me so much joy about heaven is I am going to love you perfectly. I'm not going to fear rejection. I'm not going to feel not enough or too much or too overbearing or give them some family time, Meg. Stay back. I'm not going to fear that. And I will know you completely. And you will know me completely. And that's our eternal relationship, not based on marriage, on blood. It'll be based on family, as God's family. You are known so, so intimately. And he's preparing us to be that beautiful bride for Christ. There's never going to be a bridegroom who sees you, every part of you, and loves you. There's going to be no bridegroom who is more passionate about meeting your needs as Christ is. No one. Okay. Keep going. Keep going. That's all I got, mate. 
<laughs> but um, what is the time? I can't see it. Ten past. Ten past. Um, sure, sure. <laughs> I well. 